Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, pre-recording from the home bunker. Folks, I'm really excited to bring to you part one of a two-part conversation that I had with the very esteemed Dr. Dina Simmons. Dr. Simmons did a TED Talk on imposter syndrome that was published at her former job, Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And she talks about the toxic environment of academia, particularly for Black women. And, you know, Dr. Simmons, in her TED Talk, which was about her own experience as a Black woman in a very racist higher ed system, and this is not the first time that I've had these conversations before as it pertains to other esteemed doctors that I know from higher ed institutions that have been denied tenure, right? We all watched publicly as it happened to Nicole Haddon-Jones, the author of the 1619 Project. We watched as she was denied tenure at Duke University, which was her alma mater. And then we watched that play out where she sued them, received an undisclosed amount of money, and then went over to take her brilliance and her project over to Howard University, historically black college and university. And so we know that these things happen, but it doesn't just happen in the field of academia. Toxic racist, misogynist environments are alive and well in every industry. And I will talk to Dr. Simmons in this first part of the two parts, robust conversation about what it means to own your power, what it means to take up space, 
I was asked recently for the best advice that I have ever given and received at the Lesbians Who Tech Summit in San Francisco earlier in October. And I said this about the best advice that I've ever given. Take up fucking space. Oftentimes in a lot of my career until probably the last, you know, I would say the last five to six years, I've been the only one in the room. And what do I mean by that? The only black person, the only child of immigrants, the only queer person, the only woman, not often the only woman, but the other three, absolutely. And that has been my path my entire life. As you all know, who have listened to this show for a very long time, I grew up in a predominantly white suburb on Eastern Long Island. And my public school education was in a 96% white school and 96% white community. And, you know, by virtue of my parents, and my family at large, I have never been one to shrink in a room where I do not see myself reflected. For better or worse, for many, for many, many decades, I've seen myself as a need, the need to be an ambassador in those spaces. We will talk about the undue burden that that presents as well. The undue burden and stress and additional labor that you are not being paid to do that happens when you are the only one in these spaces. And so what does it mean to reclaim rest? What does it mean to, as Auntie Maxine has said, Representative Maxine Waters, reclaim your time, right? I'm currently reading, um, if you guys follow me on Instagram, I did post a story recently. Trisha Hersey, who is the Bishop of the Nap Ministry on Instagram, I am reading her debut manifesto, Rest is Resistance. And in there, she talks about how capitalism and white supremacy has robbed us of our dream space, has robbed Black people in particular, which she dives into, but all of us collectively that are wrapped into capitalism and this grind culture that I am only as valuable as what I produce right? Not by virtue of who I am. And I think that it is really important for us to continue to unpack these conversations that help us reset our programming. Because don't be mistaken, we have all been pre-programmed from a young child. I'll give you this from Trisha Hersey's book, Rest is Resistance, which is available now. I'll tell you this little tidbit. She writes in the book about how from elementary school, we begin to program children to be workers. We force young kids, and she, she'll tell an anecdote in the book, to betray their bodies. This is her language. Betray their bodies and conform to the time constraints that a teacher allows them to be able to use the bathroom. A child could be squirming in their seat, unable to hold their bladder, and a teacher will say to them, well, you can't use the restroom until 1230. Well, it's 1145, and my body is telling me I need to go now. 
And what do we do? Well, we have kids have accidents, quote unquote, that demoralize them, that embarrass them all because they won't conform. Their bodies won't conform to the productivity schedule that we begin to put them on as young as in kindergarten. Well, now look at your own routines, how we design our work calendars or rather how our work days are designed that we are conforming to. I can't tell you how many zoom meetings I jump on where folks tell me, Hey, Danielle, can you give me, you know, just three minutes? I'm so sorry, but I've been in back to backs all day and I haven't been able to use the bathroom. What? Can you just give me you know, four minutes to go heat up a cup of coffee, or do you mind if I eat on this call because I just haven't had any time? Because we have been programmed to believe that we are an undeserving of that time. That we will seem lazy. We will seem like we are not dedicated to the work if what? I listen to the needs of my body that I am not a machine that I actually do need to physically recharge and relieve myself and eat and breathe fresh air and get some sunlight. And so the conversation, the first part of this two-part conversation that I have with Dr. Dina Simmons begins to unpack all of the systems that are at play that tell us that we are unworthy. And particularly those that have played on repeat for black people and black women throughout the course of time. So coming up next, dear friends, the first part of a two-part conversation with my new friend, Dr. Dina Simmons. Hey there, I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love. The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics, hosted by Ashanti Goler, the president of Emerge. BGG is the one-stop shop for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. Join Ashanti this season as she talks to incredible women of color who are changing the face of politics and tackling some of the most important issues facing the United States. From reproductive justice to voting rights to climate change and more. Tune in every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the very first time, Dr. Dina Simmons, activist, educator, TED Talker, and the founder of Liberate Ed. She is also the upcoming, the author of the upcoming book, White Rules for Black People. Welcome uh, to Woke AF. So I, I, I want to jump in and I want to talk about your upcoming book. And then we will talk about all the ways in which you have found um, yourself and other um, highly esteemed Black academics, Black women academics disrespected in your professional field and industry. But I want to dig into your upcoming book because I'm exhausted, as I know that you must be, right? I'm exhausted by um, the chosen ignorance of white people. I'm exhausted by the media chasing uh, the desire and the likes of the Karens and the Chads in order to decide whether or not we're going to turn into a fascist country. 
right? Whether or not they deem that their gas bills are too high to give a damn about our democracy and just equity in general. So I want to get your, your, your thoughts, um, based around your upcoming book, what prompted it? So, you know, I, I think many of us, so I think before talking about my book, I think I need to talk about the journey, right? So my journey to right now having this conversation to the book, to the places that I end up and have been and what my, whatever my future holds, right? So I started um, born and raised in the Bronx, New York. My mother coming into this this country as a you know an immigrant from Antigua, cleaning white people's homes, and saying to herself, "One day I want my children to go to school like these white folks, right?" Because we've already she can tell as an immigrant in this country that white folks got better stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she said, I want my kids to have that, too. And so when she had the opportunity and when we learned of the opportunity of boarding school, we went to boarding school. Now, what no one did is prepare me for what it was like to leave the Bronx with everyone looking like me. And for those who, who, who can't see me, I am a light skinned black woman. I have my hair up and um, up and it's it's natural, curly, big state in a pro. And uh, I'm here going into this place and it was so overwhelmingly white. And so as a 14 year old, I'm like, yo, I'm not going to make no friends here. That was the first response that I had to my boarding school. And that I ain't going to make no friends here is the response and, and the feeling I usually get when I walk into white spaces. And so what I learned in the process of going to boarding school and then to college in Vermont, and then to that school. <laughs> you just keep naming white place after white place. Right. And then going to an Ivy League is, I better learn how to perform here, right? And so what Black folks are, is we are great performers. We will, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, you, because that's what we learn, right? And so I learned the rules of whiteness. And so that's why I was like, I learned how to, navigate white spaces up to the point that it made me sick up to the point that I said, I couldn't do this no more because it's me or it's, it's me doing this or death. And so it got to the point where I just could not follow the rules anymore. And, you know, I wanted to no longer have these white rules oppress me, limit me, keep me from my excellence, keep me from my fullness, keep me from freedom. And so I, you know, left my Ivy League university um, because it was the most toxic place I've worked. And but yet at the same time, as a child, the lessons that our schools teach us is that you should aspire to end up in a place like that. So in many mm-hmm. ways, our school system becomes becomes the beginning or the 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 the, the, the place where young people learn that they must aspire to whiteness. Yep. And so um, so now it's like my entire journey and, and my book will be about bringing up with whiteness, my journey of bringing up with whiteness. But let me tell you, I was very good. Like I said in my TED Talk, and I don't even know if it made it to the TED Talk, so some of my TED Talk was edited out. Um, but one of the parts that I think I edited out was 
the sort of psychic homelessness that many black folks feel in white spaces because we are performing for white spaces. But at the same time in that performance, sometimes that performance becomes who we are mm. and we lose ourselves. And um, sort of the grief that goes with that, sort of the trauma of erasure, of self-erasure that goes with that. But also the fact that we learn to perform in these places uh, and do it so well that sometimes when we go home, our home doesn't even recognize us or we don't even recognize our home. We go home and we don't want home because it's nicer over there. And so no one talks about all of that loss and grief uh, that goes with taking a young black child from the hood and to saying, we're going to give you a better life. But no one talks about the loss and the grief. We just focus on this very narrow definition of success being how do you get as close to whiteness and how do you get as far from yourself? So like I shared in my book, and we'll see if that title sticks, right, is is essentially a homecoming, right? How do I come back home to myself? How do I come back home to my community? Uh, because there has been that distance for so long. Uh, you have said so much that I want to I want to unpack for our audience who does not have the same experience, right? I have often shared on this show my own experience of growing up in a 96% white community, of going to a predominantly white institution, of being um, a child of immigrants. My family came from Jamaica, um, so big up the Caribbean. Um, And, you know, and, and, and the idea you know, which my mother would learn later when my sister and I would go for our master's degrees, um, that she's like, I just chose the best school. I I moved to the best school district that we could afford, right. That, you know, that, that, that we could afford to go to. And it didn't occur to me, right. Um, that there would be so many instances of, assimilation and erasure that you would then unpack as adults. And I, and I didn't experience, and I'll be honest, I didn't experience deep trauma. There are, there are, I have memories, right. That I have, that I have unpacked over, over the years, but my experience allowed me to be able to navigate white spaces in a way that I have been able to utilize. Right. Um, and again, that white people don't ever have to do James Baldwin said they never have to look at us. Right. But we Mm -hmm. always have to look at them. And so Mm -hmm. for, for, for the audience, talk a little bit, if it's not too much about providing an example about the way that this performance works, what this performance actually looks like. And then the toll, you know, in this, in this And I love the phrase in this psychic homelessness that happens. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of performers, Broadway performers, actresses, you're taking on the way that you take on these characters at times you lose yourself in. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But unlike a, a Broadway show or a film, it's not done after several months. This is a lifetime performance. So can you talk a bit about how that shows up and what that looks like? So. You said assimilation earlier. And so sometimes that assimilation looks like code switching. And so for folks who don't know, it's like I, I 
I'm from the Bronx. And so when I'm coming in this white space and I'm like, yo, what's up, good? What's good, folks? If someone corrects me and tells me that good is an adjective and that well is an adverb. And when someone asks me, asks me how I'm doing, I should answer with an adverb. So it should be well, right? Or when I'm corrected for saying um, acts as acts instead of ask. So these little ways, right, that we mm -hmm. get chipped at and corrected. And so after a while, you're like, oh, I got to learn to speak like them. Mm -hmm. I got to learn mm -hmm. to talk like them. I got to learn to smile like them. So you shift and change. And it's like called shape shifting that you essentially do so that you ensure white comfort. That's really what you got to do when you go to white spaces and you ain't white because you got to ensure that white folks stay comfortable. So, and so you always mm. got to be aware that when you show up in the spaces that you are the work that you're doing to one perform and then the other work that you're doing to pay attention and to read, to read white, white response to you is essentially the work of performance, right? Because you're reading the room. Yes. So you read the room and as a young child, so, so sometimes it changes, it's changing the way you're dressing. It's changing the way you walk. It's changing your hair because we all know both, you know, when we wear our hair in the way it naturally grows out our head, it's considered unprofessional. And right. I always say to folks who defines professionalism, mm -hmm. why can't my natural state of being be professional? And those are ways in which we're erased. And, and that's the ways we learn to perform. So let me straighten my hair. Let me perform so that I don't, come across as, as, as too black for these folks or too militant for these folks, right? And so those are the ways in which that we perform. But black folks have always been performing, right? When our enslaved ancestors were in working in, you know, the enslaver's house, best believe they were smiling through their rage. Best believe, ever, best believe that a bunch of black folks in institutions, whether it be corporate, academic, non-for-profit are smiling through pain or smiling through comfort. Because again, the, what we learn, one of the rules we learn is to ensure that white folks maintain their comfort. And so I would say it's the shape-shifting, it's the shifting and, and leaving some of yourself at home and um, taking out the yo at the end of the sentence you know, and, and folks and teachers often say, but that's the correct way to speak. You should be thankful to the teachers that corrected the way you speak. And I often say in that correction, there's also a triggering. There's also, and when I say triggering, I mean like the, 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 the fact that there's a message that the way I am is wrong. So there's a way to honor what I bring naturally to a space, what I bring indigenously to a space and I could be bilingual or multilingual, learn a new language instead of saying erase that because that, that ain't right. And so I think too often in education, that's what we do. We say erase who you are and get come correct if you want to be successful because we have a very narrow definition of success, a very narrow definition of what professional is, and, and a very narrow definition of what it means to thrive. And in and, and many ways, our the, the definition of success or thrive does not have the a natural black woman's face on it. And we got to shift that. Neither does it have rest or relaxation or joy or laughter. And as a result, what do we learn as black folks? And what did I learn was that I had to show my worth by how much I produce, mm. by how much work I do. And how many of us 
are sick and dying because we are still working our tails off. It's no secret that the news is horse pill hard to swallow. Thankfully, there's the Bituation Room podcast hosted by comedian and commentator Francesca Friorentini for a lighter take on the heavy stuff. Each week, the Bituation Room brings you progressive comedians, experts, and activists to break down the issues in a way that won't just leave you crying under a weighted blanket. Get the Bituation Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and streaming on YouTube and Twitch. There was a just and I explore, I explore that too in my book as well this this idea as well so there was just released in terms of the straightening of straightening of our hair mm-hmm. the report that just came out that said guess what causes cancer uterine cancer at that hair relaxer right right relax. how many how mamas relax their hair yep. And, you know, I, I thought about it in when, when that news broke, because I, I, I went natural in early 2000. I had grown out, I had started growing out my, my perm in the nineties, uh, when I, and, and then, you know, and then went into the process of having locks, which I've had now for, for a very, very long time. But, you know, it's just this idea that, white society will tell you how you need to look and then provide, and then the product that we use to look that way will kill us. It is, I mean, it is just like, you you know, you, there, there's no, there's no other way to look at that. Right. Then for, then for what it is. Um, and you know, the ideas like these, your, your message in, in so beautifully stated is about what it seems to me the relearning of our worth mm-hmm. and how do how you know and and how do we relearn our worth as black people right now at a time when literally you have the governor of Florida Ron DeSantis who literally wrote legislation about white comfort. You have a sitting member of Congress, regardless of how crazy we know that she is, Marjorie Taylor Greene, talking about schools teaching anti-whiteness. So how do you articulate or express how we understand and learn our worth and navigate through this imposter syndrome and through this contortion that we have been doing our entire lives when literal policies are being created to deny us that very avenue, that very pathway. It's again, white limitations, right? So like we, and we've seen this. So I just finished, I I just watched Till the movie. um, And I was just, I've been thinking about Till's story. I'm at Till's story. And for those of you who don't know, Emmett Till was a black teenager who went to visit his family in the South from Chicago and did not make it past the entire time because he was killed for, um, you know, speaking, you know, having some interaction with a white woman who who did, who displeased a white woman. And obviously she, you know, Caroline, I believe kind of um, exaggerated the details 
And because what happens in, with black folks is that one, we're adultified as children, we become adults. He was seen as a man, even though he was a child and he was killed. And, uh, and so what I was thinking about was this, you know, this idea of, you said, we have to contort ourselves into these spaces. Uh, and now we have legislation that says you better stay, you better stay contorting yourself because yep. we like being uncomfortable. Uh, and, and so Till goes down to the South and doesn't know the rule. Right, because it, it, at that time it was a little bit more liberal in the north than it was in the south, and we have a whole we could have a whole conversation because I think white supremacy is universal. I just think it looks different depending on where you are. 100%. But anyway, right, and so 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 I, I think that the tension that we have as black folks is how do we raise our children mm-hmm. so that they can be free and still live to see the next day, and that is a real tension that that white parents don't have to worry about like when a and and there there's a point in the movie and and I actually didn't even need to see the movie to know this where you know the kids the the, the black boys are out and the uncle and the aunt are up watching tv you know they want to be sleeping but you know they can't sleep because their kids are not home black families still worry about their children because you never know if you're going to read about them yep. on the newspaper. And so that and and so now we have legislation that mm-hmm. says how dare we make white folks uncomfortable and you know or anti-whiteness. And to me I think when you hear them their argument they actually want to go back a lot of the folks who are arguing for this like are on the anti-critical race theory train are really thinking, are arguing like, but what about our country's values of equality and, and, and justice for all? What happened? And I'm like, where were you mm. when I was being erased? Where were you uh, every day when Black and Latinx and Indigenous and queer children and trans children are saying, we feel uncomfortable, we don't feel welcomed here? Where were you? So to me, the double standard and the arguments really don't make any sense. Because at the end of the day, it is strictly about who as a nation we desire, we decide deserves protection. And we have decided that only white little kids deserve protection in this country. White little kids who conform to a binary gender. Come on. Now you put this a little white kid in their trains. Oh, throw them out. Yep. And so, you know, we've decided very narrowly who as a country we decide to protect. And that is not going to be a future that is worth living for a lot of folks. And, and that's why we got to do the work any way that we can. Like, you know, um, the end of the month, I mean, no, at the end of November, we have a holiday, um, you know, which I don't celebrate because I come from Antigua, but it is a, um, it, it has indoctrinated this idea of Thanksgiving. We know it's a whole lie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was rapture, there was raping, there was killing. It wasn't as like beautiful and harmonious as we tell the story. But that's an opportunity because folks are going to be sitting at the table for the white uh, accomplices out there. I'm like, that's the time to talk to your racist uncle. Talk to your racist uncle. Tell them, you know, how, you know, because also we got to be voting. And I know voting is coming up and I'm thinking about Georgia. And I'm thinking about how close certain states are. And I'm like, really? Anyway, I've just been all over the place, but all that to say is that it's not, I don't want to dooms believe, like believe that everything is doomed. I want to, I, mm. I, I, I believe that 
that this can shift. And this is an opportunity for us and those of us who are about this like radical revolutionary life of collective liberation. I want to believe that that we can change something. And that's what honestly wakes me up every day. That's the work that I do at Liberate Ed is really trying to create a world where all children can live, learn, and thrive in the comfort of their own skin. And I first said those words in 2015 in my TED Talk because at the end of the day, all Black people want is to live comfortably. Mm-hmm. in peace mm-hmm. in peace just let us live in peace and let us die in peace like you don't have to contribute to either of it just let us be and i think that's at the end of the day i do the work so that i can live in peace because every time i speak my truth truth and i don't know about you danielle is i gotta worry about what death threats i'm gonna get mm-hmm. what email i'm gonna get and all i'm trying to do is live in peace and and ensure that every single child can live, learn, and thrive in the comfort of their skin. That's it for part one of my two-part conversation with Dr. Dina Simmons. Make sure to check back tomorrow for the rest of the conversation about how to wake people up to their power and how to take up space. As always, dear friends... Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.